Good morning. It has uh, already been a great privilege to be here with you and to share with you in that time of worship. Um, <clears throat> some people are, are criers. Do you know any criers in your life? Maybe some of you are. You know, when the Hallmark commercials come on, the tears start to come down. They're just a commercial, but you're moved. And I'm moved by worship. So I always bring Kleenex just in case. <laughs> and I had to use some this morning. It was great. <clears throat> We're looking um, this morning at one of the, the great men of the Old Testament. His name was David. He was the, the king of Israel. And a great promise was given to him that through his succession, through his uh, offspring, would come one who was going to be the Christ, the, the, uh, the Savior of the world, the one who would inherit his throne forever. And we worshipped him this morning, that son of David, that was Jesus. And it was interesting in the New Testament when you read the Gospels, and some of the people who wanted to be healed, whether they had leprosy or they were blind or they had some other ailment, they would cry out to, to Jesus, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus, accepting that title as the Messiah, the Son of David, the one whom the promise was fulfilled in, He would heal them. There's a few uh, men that are meeting together. We've been meeting together for a couple of years now on Tuesday morning uh, up in Land O'Lakes. And uh, we're doing a study right now called uh, David, a man after God's own heart. It's based on, maybe some of you have gone through this, it's based on um, the Old Testament passages, the narratives concerning David. It's written by Chuck Swindoll. And uh, we, we look at this man's life, and there's one of the guys in the group that just can't get his head around David. Like, this guy is supposed to be one of the great heroes of the faith. His life was a mess. <laughs> he was one of the biggest sinners that you can find in the Old Testament. And he did some things that were so suspect and yet, God called him a man after his own heart. David, a man after God's own heart. And that is the, uh, the title of the study that Chuck Swindoll put on the front cover. David, a man after God's own heart. And knowing his checkered past, you have to ask the question, why? Why would the omniscient God, the God of the universe, the holy, holy, holy God, call this man a man after his own heart? 
You know, if we look into our own lives and we recognize, whoa, we got some checkers in our past too. (laughs) It gives us hope that we can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. This morning, I'd like us to look at Psalm 34. So if you have your Bibles, I believe there are some in the pews, um, in the back of the chairs. If you don't have a Bible and you want to turn to Psalms, if you ever are at a loss for how to find at least the book of Psalms, it's quite easy. Just take your Bible and then like divide it in two, right in the middle. And uh, there it is, Psalms. I got the last Psalm, Psalm 150, so I have to turn back a little bit. But Psalm 34 is the one we're going to look at today. As we read this Psalm, I hope we can, uh, we can kind of figure out why God considered David a man after his own heart. And I want to I want you to ask yourself a question as we go through each of these um, passages, each of these groups of verses in Psalm 34. I want you to ask yourself a question: Could I have written this? Is this something that I could write truthfully? Because David wrote this from his heart. So we're going to look at the heart of David today. Psalm 34, David starts this psalm. And by the way, some of you have an explanation of this psalm uh, before you, you get to the actual verse. And mine says, it is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So just a short explanation of what happened David was on the run from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. He wanted to exterminate him. David was running. And for some reason, he went to one of the Philistine kings. Abimelech was actually a title. I think the king's name was Achish. You'll find it in 1 Samuel. What happened was some of the Philistines recognized him and said, Wait. What's he doing here? This is David. This is the one of whom they say Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it was our people that he killed. What's he doing here? And so they they had him cornered, basically. And uh, so David did the only wise thing. He pretended he was a madman. And he started babbling and scratching on the doors and he let his spit run down his beard and and the, the king looked at him and said, don't I have enough madmen in my kingdom? I don't need another one. Get him out of here. So he sent him away and David was spared his life. Uh a lot of Bible scholars have a question as to whether that was a sin or not. Uh, but he was delivered. He was saved. Now, interestingly, he went back 
and found a cave to dwell in, the cave of Adullam. And uh, some of the men who, the outcasts of Israel and some who were having problems under Saul's administration came and joined him there. And that's where he was. He was between running from the king of the Philistines and King Saul. He was between a rock and a hard place and he was in a cave and here's what he wrote. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. The first thing that we see about David, and one of the reasons he was a man after God's own heart, is because he had a heart of worship. He had a heart of praise. He occupied himself with magnifying the Lord, with praising Him. I've asked myself sometimes, could I have written this? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Don't we want to worship like that? I, you know, we, we examine our... Sometimes you walk away from church and you kind of feel like, well, was I blessed today? Did I learn anything new today? Was I encouraged today? And maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe we should be asking, was God blessed by my worship? Did I touch the heart of God with my praise? Was the praise of God continually in my mouth while I, while I, while I was in church with other believers today? David thought, it's interesting, he uses um, this term, I magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. David thought praising God was to magnify Him. Now, when you magnify something, like when you use a, a telescope, you're not making that object bigger, are you? That object is the same size, but you magnify it in the telescope because your perception is that it's bigger. It's the same way when you look through a microscope. You're not changing the size of anything, and no one can change the size of God. He is who He is. He is the Eternal One. He is the All-Knowing One. He is the Omnipotent One. I can't understand the greatness of God, and neither can you. We never will be able to fathom a person who is without beginning. He just is. From eternity past. And he knows all things. And he is able to speak into existence the things that we see around us. 
I can't even identify some of the plants and trees that I see. God spoke them into existence and everything that made them work. That's our God. We don't magnify him. But what happens is when we look through it, a telescope at something up in the sky, it looks bigger. And that's what we need to do in our worship. Our perspective of God needs to be bigger. We need to understand who he is and be in awe of that. There there was a man named J.B. Phillips that wrote a book some years ago. It was a long time ago. I was a young man when I read it. And it was called, Your God is Too Small. That is absolutely true for too many of us. Our God is too small. We fail to magnify him, our perspective of him. But David had this heart of worship. The second thing he had, we see in verses 4 through 6, and again in verse 15, Let me read the passage. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. One of the things that we see characterize David's life is that he was dependent upon God for his needs. He had a life of prayer. He had a life of prayer. I wish we could, we could spend time and just expand on all of these things, but he, he was just like, he was childlike. He called himself a poor man. This poor man cried, and that great God answered. He had a life of prayer. Look at verse 7. He says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. The other thing that, uh, another characteristic of, of David's life was that he had this constant sense that God was there. That God was a caring God. He was a, an imminent God. A God who was near to him, who encamped around him. He had a sense of God's presence. Someone asked me some some time ago, we had a, a discussion, and he said, what do you think the whole like, essence of the Christian life is? What, what is it just all about? And it was just such a simple question. How would you answer that? I don't know. <laughs> How do you sum that up? But I, to me, I, as we talked about it, I thought, you know, the Christian life, is living in the presence of God. It's living in the it's acknowledging the presence of God that he is there 
that we're not alone. We, we were singing this morning about God's care and his, his uh, eternal loving kindness. That he is there. R.C. Sproul was a, uh, the founder of Ligonier Ministries. And uh, I, I like so much of his stuff. He's such a deep thinker. But he, uh, he entitles um, many of his things or puts a heading above his things or his kind of his, his catchphrase is a Latin phrase, Coram Deo, Coram Deo. And it just literally means um, in God's presence. In God's presence. It refers to something and everything that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. So to live Coram Deo, to live that way, is to live one's entire life acknowledging that you are living it in the presence of God, that God is present. And we read that, that Psalm 139 earlier, right? The responsive reading. Where can I go from your presence? Not that I, I can run away. Sometimes I want to run away. But where can I go from your presence? You're always there. God is always there. And that was part of, of David's heart. He didn't separate the days in his life. He didn't say, okay, today is Sabbath, so I'm going to do the things that I am to do on the Sabbath. I'll bring my sacrifices. I'll I'll pray. But then uh, on Tuesday, (laughs) I'm not going to even think about God. David's life was encompassed by the presence of God. He knew it was. And ours is too. God never goes anywhere. He is always present in our lives. Verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, remember where David was when he was writing this. He was running. He was on the run. He was running from Saul hiding from him. He had just escaped the clutches of the Philistine king. And he was living in a cave. And it was tough. But he reminds us of his heart here when he says to to everyone around him, oh, taste and see. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And he he believed that. God is good. He knows what we need. 
We seek first His kingdom and everything will be added to us. God is good. We did a, a, a study a while back in our, in our gathering and we were looking at what prompts us to worship? What really uh, motivates us to, to worship in a way that touches God's heart? And one of the things we kept seeing in the Psalms with David was this word chesed. Chesed. It, it's translated loving kindness or goodness. And it just shows up all the time in loving kindness, loving kindness. And it's like it, it, it's repeated so often you almost overlook it. But it's the, the thing that was stuck in David's mind. Chesed. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It means he's good. He is favorable to us. He loves us. He is a good God. He is not a capricious, arbitrary God. When you look at the pantheon in, in the Greek mythology or in, in the Roman deities and you start reading about them, if you've ever read any mythology, they were rotten persons most of the time. Much of the time. They were arbitrary. They were capricious. They were, they were swindlers. They were deceitful. They were liars. And people worshipped them? We have a God who has revealed Himself, thank you, Father, that you are good, that your loving kindness lasts forever. David had that concept, that knowledge, that God is good. And then in verse 11 through 14, he said, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and many loves many good days? That he may seek good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is a whole sermon in itself. But you see the wisdom of David. That how you live your life, the application of what you know about God and what His desire and His will is for your life, the application of that is wisdom. He had a heart of wisdom. And he was willing to teach it. Verses 16 through 21. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. David had this conviction that God is not only good, but he is fair. He is just. He had this 
unquestionable confidence that with God, ultimately, the good guys win. Those who follow God win. And the bad guys lose. The people that say to God, ah, I don't need you. I'm going my own way. Are afflicted and condemned. And then David had a hope of redemption. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. One of the things we, one of the great blessings we have in Christ Jesus is the redemption. The buying out of the slavery of sin and death into the freedom and the liberty of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. That's what we have. Oh, we're so blessed. We looked at that, that whole truth of redemption alone. David knew if he just fell before God, he said, Lord, my life is in your hands. He was safe. Now, I, I want to close this morning. I've been given 35 minutes, and I've got about five left. <laughs> because the Lord has a stopwatch up there. <laughs> now, honestly, I, when I first came to St. Germain, we, we lived... Are we we live we worshipped in a uh, a former snowmobile repair shop, and I preached from the front <clears throat> on a platform, but underneath that platform it was covered up with carpet. But underneath that platform, there actually was like a, a an oil drain door where it could be opened and closed, and they always threatened that if I went too long, <laughs> they would open that and I would drop out of sight. Um, they never did that because I was really careful. <laughs> so in this psalm, David, as we read through it, we, we sense his heart. We sense what he believed and what he did and how he worshipped and how he prayed and how he taught. And so we see a heart that, that God loves David a man after God's own heart but in closing in the last couple of minutes here I want to talk about this beast there's a beast an ugly beast that is our enemy that wants to strip us strip us of all of these characteristics all of these virtues all of these blessings in our lives this beast wants to destroy all those things. Powerful beast. Who is it? Who am I talking about? Who is this nasty and powerful beast? If you think I'm talking about Satan, you're half right. But he's not the primary beast. The name of the primary beast is spelled 
P-R-I-D-E. It's our own pride. The thing that keeps us from worshiping in a way that is selfless and abandoned is pride. The thing that keeps us from a life of prayer is I don't know if I need God. I can do these things myself. Some of you remember the old comic strip Pogo if you're old enough. Pogo was a some kind of a swamp beast. I think it was an alligator or something. Walter Kelly wrote that column many years ago. I think he's long gone. But he, uh, in that comic strip one time, he, he said this, and it's been quoted ever since then. We have met the enemy, and he is us. We can be our own worst enemy when we allow human pride to destroy a childlike abandonment to God's goodness and His wisdom. We can abandon that childlike dependence upon God in prayer. We can come into a worship service and not worship and just fiddle around instead of pouring our hearts out to God if we're proud. How do we overcome the beast? How do we separate ourselves from the the scribes and the Pharisees of the New Testament who refused Jesus because they were so concerned about what was going to happen to their own power and livelihoods. Pride kept them from coming to Him. How do we overcome it? Two things. To get low, to get where we should be, in our own estimation, not in our own estimation, but actually in reality, to get low, we need to look up. We need to, to look at the Lord. How many of you are omniscient? How many of you can hear the prayers of millions of people at one time? How many of you know all things? How many of you could make a tree? How many of you could make a bird fly? How many of you are eternal? We're mortals. We're not immortal. You have to look up to get low. You have to... I I think humility, real humility, is living in reality in the sense that we are understanding who God is and who we are. Nobody with any brains would put them 
pit themselves against God. Satan would, I guess. Satan tried to get Adam and Eve to say, you will be like gods. We, we, we never were going to be, and we never will be. We have a great God, and there's only one. So to get low, look up. And study. When we study who God is, when we recognize who He is, our human pride is demolished. And you can escape the beast of pride by crawling under Him. Let God lift you up. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. God exalts us. If we are His children and we look to Him and we worship Him and we rely on Him and we depend upon Him and we put our faith in Him, He lifts us up. He makes us His own children. He gives us eternal life. He adopts us as His children. It's significant, I'll close here, that in in Psalm 34, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And I think it's significant that he calls the people of God the humble. He calls the people of God the humble here. Let the humble hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let the humble hear and be glad. And it's, a, it's as if being proud is denying God himself and who he is. And in a sense, that's what it's all about. Let the humble hear and be glad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are a great God beyond our ability to comprehend. You are the eternal one. You are the almighty one. You deserve all of the worship that we can give you. You deserve all of your people, to be utterly dependent upon you, for you are the giver of all good things. Teach us, Lord. Correct us. Convict us where we have been self-sufficient. Where our worship has been hollow. Where we have neglected depending upon you in prayer, where we have doubted your goodness. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kevin, for that great challenge to us. Let's close our time, this great time of worship we had this morning, by standing together and let's sing ourselves out with uh, just reminding ourselves that we need him every hour.